0: I'd been told to wait at the airport for an official car to arrive. There were always detailed, specific instructions in case the car was late or didn't show up at all. Under no circumstances was I, a single, unescorted woman, to get into a taxi. That would be provocative behavior, marking me as a woman looking for trouble. So instead, I sat on an airport bench and waited. All too aware of the leering stares of men walking by, I unzipped my bag and retrieved the large shawl packed by Maggie, our housekeeper and lifelong friend. I draped it over my bare arms, eager to cover my pale skin. The next morning, I was to report to the field office. I was in my mid-twenties, but already I'd grown accustomed to this routine, stopping in first thing to meet the local chief of station at the start of each new assignment abroad. I also looked forward to seeing an old friend, Judy. When I arrived at the chief's office the next morning, he was waving a flimsy sheet of paper in the air. It was an incoming cable from headquarters, and he held it between thumb and forefinger as if it were smoking hot. As his staff settled into nearby chairs, he read it aloud, his eyebrows rising and falling as he spoke. A terrorist group member, whom the chief had previously met in another country, on another assignment, was now attempting to make contact. The terrorist wanted to meet with him, here, now. According to this flash cable, which was the highest priority level of CIA communications, this terrorist was a rogue and the lethal, razor-sharp edge of an emerging radical Islamist jihadi group. He'd already helped to bring down an American plane and was running from Interpol and the local intelligence service. He was also only a single step ahead of his own terrorist organization, which sought to assassinate him. He had gone rogue and now posed a danger to them as well. He was seeking safe harbor, and the chief knew, as we did, that the meeting would have to take place soon. The terrorist claimed to have information about a planned hijacking of another American airline, Pan Am. That last line was the bait. This was urgent. The chief immediately informed us, three case officers and intel analyst, and one support person, that he would not attend the meeting alone. We would be there with him to keep our eyes on the bad dude who was summoning him. Above all, our job was to ensure that our boss did not leave the meeting with the terrorist under any circumstances. This guy was desperate, and dangerous, capable of anything. I'd been flown in to direct a photo training operation, but in the blink of an eye, my assignment had changed. As a disguise officer, I now had only hours to disguise our chief, but I had brought no disguise materials with me. The chief was tall with a scarred face and a noticeable southern drawl. I asked the case officer to buy the largest shalwar kameez available and a pair of everyday sandals from the nearest market. I needed to make the chief look local, understated. After coloring his blonde hair black and adding a custom mustache from a disguise kit left behind by a recently departed case officer, I found a pair of outdated, dark, horn-rimmed glasses. I then applied a touch of Judy's makeup to darken his complexion. I also gave him a cigar and a leather portfolio, suggesting he light the cigar and enter the lobby of the hotel like he owned the place. Once in disguise, the chief transformed. He was a natural actor whose sheer size commanded respect. The goal was for him to be able to evaluate the situation incognito before deciding to make the meeting and reveal himself. The chief was scared of this terrorist. So was I.